0: Johnson County Library is now fine free. Find out more at joco.library.org/slash fine free. The e resource of this
1: episode is Brainfuse Homework Help. Brainfuse Help Now has several ways to get homework help: live tutoring, Writing Lab to get feedback within one business day, Skill Surfer for study resources and test prep, Send Question to get a response within one business day, plus several more tools to collaborate and learn using the website or mobile app.
2: It is about how trees can communicate with each other through their root systems and how they're actually far more sentient than we give them credit for, or we ever even realized. And what blew my mind the most was not only can they communicate with each other, but they are not communicating with just their own type of tree. The entire forest is talking to each other.
0: Joko Library Uncovered.
3: Hi, Charles. Hey, Dave. Did you know that fleas can jump 130 times their height? That's a fun fact. Yeah, for sure. And here's another one. Spiders could eat all the humans on Earth in one year because there are three million spiders for every one human. And (laughs) they love meat. But no spider that we are aware of, at least, has ever declared an intention to eat a bunch of people. (laughs) Thankfully. Yeah. (laughs) Weird. More than half of your body is bacteria because human cells make up only 43% of the body's total cell count. The rest are bacteria, viruses, and fungi. The greatest amount of these microbes are in our bowels. Wild. Yeah, and did you know that feldspar is the most common mineral on Earth? Feldspar is a group of tectosilicate minerals that form rocks and make up 41% of the Earth's crust. Plus, it's fun to say, Feldspar. (laughs) That's wonderful. You said it. Why did we start this episode with those amazing science facts? Well, Um, because it's our fun, weird, wild, and wonderful science collection deep dive episode.
0: That's right. And our Reader's
3: Advisory Librarians are back. And they've donned white lab coats and they put on their safety glasses so they don't get blinded by science. It's exciting stuff, and it's next. But first,
0: Library News. And welcome back to our collection, Deep Dive, and I'm happy to see Greg is back here again. Welcome, Greg.
1: Charles, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be back.
0: Yeah, and it looks like you brought some guests with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what today's collection Deep Dive topic is and who you have with you?
1: Absolutely, and I am um, excited about today's Deep Dive because as a Reader's Advisory Librarian, I normally deal with fiction, you know, science fiction, uh, romances, thrillers, mysteries, those types of things. But today we are going to be talking about nonfiction and specifically science and nature. So I'm going to be learning about a lot of books that I'm going to be excited about too. But before we begin, I do want to remind everyone that the books that we talk about today will be compiled into a list and be available either in the show notes or online at joecolibrary.org slash uncovered. But before we begin, let's go uh, go around the room and introduce the librarians who are going to be telling us about these awesome books, Wendy.
4: Hi, I'm also very excited to be included in the conversation today. I'm Wendy
2: Gish, I'm at the
4: Lenexa Library.
2: And I am Caitlin Perkins, and I hail from the Corinth branch in Prairie Village. Excellent, well thank you guys
1: so much for joining us today. Um, Caitlin, let's go ahead and get us, and you can kick us off by telling us what about today's topic really compels you and draws you in and might draw our readers in.
2: Yeah, thanks Greg. Um, So for those of you who are maybe theater kids in high school or who are into the um, forensics, uh, and I mean forensics as in competitive speaking and acting, not forensic science, I like to think of today's books as long-winded information speeches, um, informatives. So um, they are super niche specific topics that have been really fleshed out. One of my coworkers uh, called them micro-histories and that's uh, kind of a good way of looking at it, but it doesn't have to just be about history. It can really be about anything. It could be economics or it could be pop culture um, or it could be as in today's science books. Um, So these are scholarly researched books, but that read like you're talking to a friend. They're very uh, conversational, um, readable, and accessible to the general audience. And also
1: books that'll be good for uh, book groups or book clubs. Absolutely. Okay, well, I'm I'm super excited. Let's go ahead and get started. What's your first pick? What's the first book that you wanna talk to us about today?
2: Um, Yeah, so the first one I'm going to start with is by an author who many of you probably already know. Um, Bill Bryson has written a lot of great um, history books and uh, books that talk about like the history of all the objects in your house. And uh, the one I think he's most well-known for is A Brief History of Everything. So, But he wrote a book right before the pandemic hit that came out in 2019 called The Body, A Guide for Occupants. And many of you may have missed it given the timing at which it was released. And this is such a good one. Uh, in true to nature uh, for Bill Bryson, it reads with these perfect little comedic nuggets thrown in throughout the whole thing, uh, which... So let me backtrack. Bill Bryson is kind of known for his ability to synthesize a ton of information into a concise, easy to read, easy to digest uh, a little edition. And so uh, one reviewer wrote that he gleans as much as possible from as little as possible Ah, with Bill Bryson.
1: That's great. And I remember reading him back in the 90s uh, about a book about linguistics. So he's been around for a while and has a really deep uh, catalog to pull from.
2: Yeah. So in this one, again, the title is The, Bo- uh, the Body, A Guide for Occupants. Um, Bill Bryson theoretically kind of dissects the human body. And chapter by chapter, he goes on different topics, like from the brain to your skin to your gut. And he tells you a ton of information, but you don't actually feel like you're learning. Um, I feel like if... Um, biology classes in school could teach out of Bill Bryson's book, you would have way more people flocking to biology and probably to medicine also, um, and probably passing the courses too, because again, you just don't feel like you're learning, but you're, you're absorbing all of the things he's saying.
1: So like a biology professor sitting down to you, next to you over a cup of coffee and chatting about this rather than just a scholarly academic tone.
2: Exactly. And he makes a lot of comparisons um, that don't even feel like they're even science. So at one point he talks about how if you were to break down the body into your actual uh, compounds, like nitrogen and oxygen and carbon, how you could go out and you could buy all of those pieces and make a human. And it would only cost like, you know, 200 pounds or something if you were yeah. to compile um, based on what we are physically made out of.
1: That is fascinating. Um, so aside from the body, what other books did you want to, uh, to tell us about today? What's your next selection?
2: Um, Yeah, so my next one is a little bit more on the nature and um, plant life side as opposed to the human and physical Mm -hmm. side. So it is called The Drunken Botanist, The Plants That Create the World's Greatest Drinks, and it's by Amy Stewart. Uh, This one is actually a little bit older. It came out in 2013, but I don't think it's very well known, and it is so fun. I am not actually a big drinker myself, but this tells you about the art of making adult beverages and kind of the history behind how we found that if you fermented this plant Uh or if you added this animal to the fermented liquid that you have, that you are all of a sudden going to have this entirely different tasty uh, drink. That's
1: fascinating, and uh, it sounds like it's not just one long narrative that is broken up into kind of different digestible, if you don't mind me saying that, parts, right? You
2: you got it, exactly. Um, So if you're only interested in, let's say, learning about gin or learning about tequila or hard cider, then you can jump to just those specific sections. Um, That's one of my favorite things about nonfiction is that you don't actually have to read the entire thing. You can pick and choose what you want. There is not a um, building climax, Uh, it's it's very easy Pick the parts that you are of interest to you.
1: That's great. So something if you're an audiobook listener and just kind of want to read this on the run, maybe going uh, through workouts or going to work, you can kind of stop and start and jump in wherever, uh, whatever it takes you.
2: Yeah. Or if you want to just read a chapter before bed, or if you've got small children and you know you only have ten minutes before you're going to pass out at night.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's fascinating. Thank you so much for telling us about that. Now, Wendy, um, to switch to you, I believe one of your picks kind of goes along these same lines, right?
4: Yeah. Um, the next the next book that would follow that one is uh, Your Mind on Plants by Michael Pollan. It's written in true popular science style. I, I found it to be a page-turner, but also, like Caitlin just mentioned, uh, you can read it in sections. He actually divides it into three sections. Uh, the first one is opium, uh, and then he talks about caffeine, and finally mescaline. Uh, And it's some of the stuff is really surprising, like you, uh, for example, caffeine, um, you, you know, everybody drinks caffeine, but they don't really think about it as being a drug. Yeah, or how it actually affects the human body. Right. And so he talks about the fact that we give that to children, for example, you know, soda, caffeine, things like that. So it's a very socially accepted drug. And then um, a lot about the coffee industry, which really changed the way uh, commerce and uh, industry was conducted. And really the way that people went to work. um, Prior to like coffee breaks, they had beer breaks, for example. So um, it's a really interesting book and you can definitely read it in different sections. You don't really have to read it all the way through. I love one of the things that he brings up also in the book uh, regarding uh, coffee plants is, and I'm gonna read a quote if that's okay. Okay, absolutely, please do. So he says that the interesting question is why so many of the defense chemicals produced by plants are psychoactive in animals at less than lethal doses. One theory holds that the plant doesn't necessarily want to kill us, Kill its predator, only disarm it. So it's really interesting because they've done experiments with bees, for example, uh-huh. uh, where they give them a whiff of like what they would be pollinating with a coffee plant, uh-huh. and they find that it brings them back. They prefer that, but uh-huh. it doesn't kill them. So it doesn't. So they don't destroy the plant. So it's just little tidbits like that that I find really interesting.
1: how how the biology of the plant evolved to to kind of live alongside uh, people, animals, those mm-hmm. types of things, and to kind of uh, become useful. By evolving,
4: and do we cultivate coffee, or does coffee cultivate us? Uh, that you is, know?
1: when it comes to my morning cup, I know who's cultivating whom, right? Exactly. Yes. And
4: uh, he and he does an experiment in the book where he tries to give up caffeine, tries to give up his morning beverage, and it's just this series of. Sort of fumbling around and not having the mental capacity to finish his book, for example, or articles. This is really, really interesting. Absolutely, so. and like um, unlike the
1: Bill Bryson book, Michael Pollan has a, a kind of a deep bench. He definitely has some other uh, readable books mm-hmm. as well.
4: Very, very good in popular science. So. That's fascinating.
1: Can you tell us about another book that uh, that you would like to recommend today?
4: So going back to early America, um, Victoria Johnson does a book called "American Eden: David Hosick, Botany and Medicine in the Garden of the Early Republic." So uh, she she describes him. Uh, I think this book is cataloged really under botany, but mm-hmm. it really is more of a biography. Um, it really follows his. Uh, Journey from uh, infant to adulthood, and his goals of establishing the first American botanic garden. Which so was this,
1: what was this uh, gentleman's name again? David Hosick. So he was around during Revolutionary War. He times. was
4: born. He was old enough to watch George Washington march down. Uh, I can't remember what the street was right after the Revolutionary War oh, and fabulous. victory. So he he had a memory of that. And- But he he,
1: knew um, founding fathers like uh, Alexander Hamilton, mm -hmm. uh, Burr, uh, Jefferson.
4: Yeah, he was the attending uh, physician at the Burr-Hamilton duel. Ah. And so he was the personal physician for Alexander Hamilton, but then uh, was also a good close personal friend of Burr. So he had an invested interest in that for sure. And that's something interesting that this author does. She talks a lot about the importance of botany at the time. So they were starting to move away more from, um, you know, dosing people with mercury or bleeding them and using plant-based remedies and uh so it's he was really kind of he had a lot of foresight you know in what he was doing uh and so he wanted to create this garden it's called elgin gardens in Uh new york and uh, it's actually where 30 rock rockefeller plaza is right now oh yeah so yeah so anyway he um he uh, he just wanted to like have these plants benefit um so it's fascinating.
1: So it's, a, it's kind of a combination of history, biography, mm-hmm. and popular science all at the same time.
4: Yeah, if you like American history, uh, history of medicine, or um, any of that stuff, you'd probably enjoy this Absolutely.
1: Show. Even though he probably didn't make the musical, he was still an important part of, the, of that experience. Yeah, he
4: would know the words. Okay, yeah. there we are.
1: So um, that's fascinating. Thank you so much. Now, Caitlin, let's go back to you. What is one of the next other books that you wanted to talk about today?
2: Yeah, thanks, Greg. Um, So the next one that I'm going to be talking about also is kind of an interplay between history and memoir and science. Um, It's called The Lost Family, How DNA Testing is Upending Who We Are. And it's by Libby Copland. And this one also came out during the pandemic. It actually came out, came out March 2020. So Ah. right as we went into lockdown. Yes. Um, It is the story of um, ancestry testing. And so How many of us have kind of just casually been given a 23andMe or an Ancestry, uh, you know, cheek swabbing or spit test as a Christmas present? It's a great gift for those people that you don't know what to get. Um, So, so many of us have taken these tests and gone into it so lightly. And then all of a sudden, there's this growing population of people who have found that their dad is not their dad, or they have siblings out there that they never knew, Uh Uh, and it's their stories intertwined with the history of how these tests work, and the science of how they work, whether it's looking at the Y chromosome or the X chromosome, because Ancestry actually uses a different technique than 23andMe, even though they kind of give you what you feel like is the same information. Um, They're actually using two completely different scientific methods.
1: Uh and also it sounds like whatever i hear about you know like dna tests i always think of it in terms of like you know those those police tv shows where they have forensic is does that tie into that at all
2: as well uh, at the end they talk a little bit about how um there has been police uh, seizing of this information and we kind of think of the uh, Golden State Killer because that's one that was really publicized, how they used DNA testing uh, to solve that long unsolved mystery, unsolved crime. Um, And so they do dive into that a little bit but mostly it's about the personal stories of the people and the science of how this testing works. Fascinating, and what was the title of that one again? Yeah, it's The Lost Family, How DNA Testing is Upending Who We Are by Libby Coplin.
1: That's great. What's the the next one that you wanted to talk about today?
2: Uh, My next one is Finding the Mother Tree, Discovering the Wisdom of the Forest by Suzanne Simard. And this one came out in 2021, so it's fairly new. We just did this one uh, for the Corinth book group, and it was a great discussion. Uh Um, It is about how trees can communicate with each other through their root systems and how they're actually far more sentient than we give them credit for or we ever even realized. Um, And what blew my mind the most was not only can they communicate with each other, but they are not communicating with just their own type of tree. They are um, the entire forest is talking to each other. And they're existing in this symbiotic relationship. Uh, When Suzanne Simard started her research, the predominant uh, line of thinking in the field was that plants are in competition with each other, and that they're all competing for the water and for the sunlight. But when she mm-hmm. started doing her um, her tests, she discovered that they're actually working together. So the trees that shade the forest, preventing the other trees from getting any light, are then giving their extra nutrients to the smaller ones to make it so that they can all survive together. And then when those smaller ones are um, you know producing the most of you know nitrogen or whatever they then give it back to the bigger trees fascinating Uh, it's incredibly fascinating and it just leaves you with that feel-good feeling of um we're in this together
1: absolutely and book group friendly as you said
2: very so it's also part memoir um It bounces back and forth between talking about Simard's struggle with being a a female in the field, and also um, she gets cancer at one point, and it's definitely tied to a lot of the poisons that she was having to use in her forestry work, uh, and um, finding her husband and having a child and trying to figure out that balance between uh, being a researcher and also uh, being a a human.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Wendy, um, let's just switch back to you. What's the next book on your list?
4: mine is sound of a wild snail eating and it's by um, Elizabeth Tova Bailey uh, so in this one it's very similar that she's struck by a mysterious illness and then she does a lot of research so around having um, sort of observing a snail that a friend brings in inadvertently on a pot of violets so and while she's convalescing um, she just she doesn't have the energy or Wherewithal to really do anything other than lay there, so she ends up observing the snail at a much slower pace than she would have normally. Um, She would probably been out doing stuff like romping through the woods with her dog and things like that. So um, she uh, she found that time changed for her. She talks about the fact that she matched the snail's pace, but she also did a lot of research into just what uh, just snails really like. (laughs) You wouldn't, I guess, you walk by them all the time and you don't really think about them as being that complex, but People have been doing research on them for centuries, which actually surprised me. And they were very, uh, they're very sentient, sentient like you were talking about to some regard, to some degree. They have like romance, They're snail romance. Really? Yeah, and uh, they have little love darts. In fact, ah. so it's really cute. But um, I also read this during uh, the. Pa- I read this. Uh, for the first time during the pandemic. And it struck me that it was on a grander scale that people, everyone had slowed down. Like with being uh, kept at home, people were outside more, people were observing nature more. So I I found there was a lot of parallels with what I was experiencing and what she had observed. And then I also have a snail joke, so. Okay. Um, So what would a snail want with a smartphone?
1: What would a snail want with a smartphone?
4: It takes a lot of shelfies. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. but anyway really one more really quick thing about that one if you're interested in snails there's a guy named Timothy Pierce who's a malacologist yeah. and he works with the um, museum, uh, Carnegie Museum of Natural History he's referenced in the book and you can also follow him on social media so okay. it's actually really interesting so the
1: sound of a wild sna- snail seems like it's a combination of almost philosophy mm-hmm. as well as a scientific uh, look at, uh, at those things that are in your garden
4: yeah, for sure, and that's what makes it a charming book. I haven't met somebody yet who hasn't liked that book, and
1: that's another uh, book group type of uh, book, correct?
4: That is, we'll be uh, we will be reading that one soon. Okay,
1: and uh, let's. How about uh, let's go ahead and finish this up. What's the last book that you'd like to talk about today?
4: Um, the last one is called "Endless Forms: The Secret World of Wasps," and I think that wasps have been set in a villain capacity, and this book really opens your eyes to the fact that they're necessary as pollinators. Uh, and predators—they keep pests down. Um, mm-hmm. And I do have—I have a trivia question about this one. Oh, so uh, let's see: Are wasps or bees older? I'm going to have you both guess. Um, I'm going to say
2: bees. Well, just for the sake of being argumentative, I'm going to say wasps.
4: So wasps are 100 million years older than bees. Really? Yeah. And there's 22,000 species of bees, and there are over 100,000 species of wasps. But because bees are so soft and cuddly, there's been a lot more research done on bees. So you learn a lot about this book, and you have a new appreciation for things that we see every day, much like the snails.
1: That's absolutely fascinating. So they're not just those annoying things in our backyard. They actually serve a purpose Mm -hmm. in nature.
4: Yeah. Like there'd be a lot of icky things that, you know, reproduced rather rapidly if it wasn't for the wasps. They're pretty cool. And uh, one more really quick thing about wasps is that, um, so another quote from the book is, bees are simply wasps that have forgotten how to hunt. The original bee was a solitary wasp who turned into a vegetarian. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that sounds like a
1: fascinating book, and uh, you kind of mentioned earlier with The Sound of a Wild Snail that we actually, the Johnson County Library has a, uh, a, a book group that's kind of focused on these types of topics.
4: Yeah, we just started a book group for nonfiction in 2023. Um, it's at the Lenexa Library. You can check the catalog for the times and the selections. And what's the, uh, what's the, what's it called? It's called In Pursuit of Science and Nature. And this is something that's, that's free to, to Yeah, register. you can free, you get a book for free when you sign up and uh, it's, uh, we have a lot of people who've come that are very interested in this topic and have a lot of interesting information to share themselves.
1: Great. So it's not only a book uh, discussion group, but it's also just kind of a science and nature discussion group. It's for
4: people who are curious about the natural world. I would say that anybody who has a curiosity about science and nature, they should definitely come visit us. Great. Well, if you, uh,
1: anybody out there who might be interested, go
4: to our website
1: for more information. But as we wrap up today, I want to tell you all about a book that I've been um, looking forward to. This book is called What an Owl Knows by Jennifer Ackerman. It comes out in June 13th, uh, 2023, so make sure to get your holds in now. This, uh, Jennifer Ackerman is an author who wrote um, uh, The Genius of Birds and some other types of uh, uh, very well-reviewed books. But this one is about owls and kind of a combination of their history throughout human humanity, culture, what they've uh, represented in, in different cultures throughout the world. Also, the field work that she did with some owl um, experts, and also her own personal um, uh, memoirs as well. So it's kind of a, a good combination between that history, that field work, and that uh, history and culture uh, part of it. Uh, this is going to be a good uh, book group uh, book, and uh, hopefully everyone out there is going to be excited about it. I'm excited about it. Oh, okay, good. Wendy is in. Well, I really want to thank everyone out there for listening and you all for joining us today. I really hope you enjoyed some of our books.
2: That's super fun. Thank you. Thanks for including me.
1: And a reminder that if you want a list of all the books that we talked about today, either look in the show notes or go to joecolibrary.org uncovered.
0: JoCo Library Uncovered we will be right back.
3: We live in a society exquisitely dependent on science and technology, in which hardly anyone knows anything about science and technology. Carl Sagan. The saddest aspect of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. Isaac Asimov. Those are two really great quotations, um, and it reminds me of why the library is so important. You know, books like The ones that Greg, Caitlin, and Wendy discussed, and countless others that are in our collection, are here for you to learn and explore fun, weird, wild, and wonderful science. Well, let's talk about our next episode. In June… We're back with another episode, and this time we go behind the scenes of our incarcerated services. Charles, incarcerated services librarian, Melody Kinneman and I sat down with two residents, Phil and Dia, at the Adult Detention Center in New Century, Kansas. They share how the library is part of their rehabilitation and their relationship with books. Before we leave you, we're always interested in hearing what you have to say. It's time for a short segment we call What You Thinking? This episode's What You Thinking is a little different. Sometimes we read you five star reviews that we receive. Sometimes we present audio that we've recorded from our patrons and librarians responding to some question that we post. But this time around, we're asking you to visit our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Joko Library. There, you will find a prompt asking you to share your favorite fun, weird, wild, or wonderful science book. Be sure to explain why it's fun, weird, wild, or wonderful. We can't wait to hear your responses.
0: Library Uncovered.
3: If you enjoyed today's topics. You might be interested in these recommendations from our collection. First, a Charles choice. American Serengeti by Dan Flores. Bison, horses, coyotes, wolves, grizzly bears, pronghorns. Noted Western and environmental historian Flores dazzles with his vivid, informed, and richly detailed essays on six iconic animals of the American Great Plains. Next, a Dave's double feature. And so if you go to Canopy, just visit the streaming section of our e-library. That's jocolibrary.org slash e My first pick is Supersize Me, the fast food industry in America. Now, this one was from 2004, and it's about an hour and 30 minutes long. Um, It was Oscar nominated and uh, Moreland Spurlock uh, had a social experiment in fast food gastronomy and you see him uh, attempting to subsist uniquely on food from McDonald's for an entire month. Now that is truly fun, weird, wild, wonderful science. And my second pick for my Dave's double feature is Nova Universe Revealed the Milky Way 2021 and it's under an hour. And it's described as, Across the night sky, the Milky Way reminds us of our place in the galaxy we call home. But what shaped this giant spiral of stars, and what will be its destiny? Travel back in time to unlock the turbulent story of our cosmic neighborhood. Now, I'd like to remind you that a full list of our book report recommendations, including everything that uh, Greg and Wendy and Caitlin talked about today, can be found on our webpage. That's jocolibrary.org uncovered.
0: JoCo Library Uncovered is a production of Johnson County Library and is recorded at the Central Resource Library in Overland Park, Kansas. We would love to read your thoughtful emails at uncovered at jocolibrary.org. Join our online conversation at facebook.com slash jocolibrary. Look for us on Twitter at jocolibrary. Our website is jocolibrary.org. Subscribe to Joko Library Uncovered through your favorite Podcatcher or go to jocolibrary.podbean.com. Thanks for listening and come back in two weeks for more Joko Library Uncovered.